Chapter forty nine of the Life and Adventures of Martin Chuzzlewit by Charles Dickens. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. In which Mrs. Harris, assisted by a teapot, is the cause of a division between friends. Mrs. Gamp's apartment in Kingsgate Street, High Holborn, wore, metaphorically speaking, a robe of state. It was swept and garnished for the reception of a visitor. That visitor was Betsy Prig. Mrs. Prig of Barthelemy's, or as some said Barclemy's, or as some said Barlemy's, for by all these endearing and familiar appellations had the hospital of St. Bartholomew become a household word among the sisterhood which Betsy Prig adorned. Mrs. Gamp's apartment was not a spacious one. But to a contented mind a closet is a palace, and the first-floor front at Mr. Sweedlepipe's may have been, in the imagination of Mrs. Gamp, a stately pile. If it were not exactly that, to restless intellects, it at least comprised as much accommodation as any person, not sanguine to insanity, could have looked for in a room of its dimensions. For only keep the bedstead always in your mind, and you were safe. That was the grand secret remembering the bedstead. You might even stoop to look under the little round table for anything you had dropped, without hurting yourself much against the chest of drawers, or qualifying as a patient of St. Bartholomew by falling into the fire. Visitors were much assisted in their cautious efforts to preserve an unflagging recollection of this piece of furniture by its size, which was great. It was not a turn-up bedstead, nor yet a French bedstead, nor yet a four-post bedstead, but what is poetically called a tent, the sacking whereof was low and bulgy, insomuch that Mrs. Gamp's box would not go under it, but stopped half-way, in a manner which, while it did violence to the reason, likewise endangered the legs of a stranger. The frame, too, which would have supported the canopy and hangings, if there had been any, was ornamented with diverse pippins carved in timber, which on the slightest provocation, and frequently on none at all, came tumbling down, harassing the peaceful guest with inexplicable terrors. The bed itself was decorated with a patchwork quilt of great antiquity, and at the upper end, upon the side nearest to the door, hung a scanty curtain of blue check, which prevented the zephyrs that were abroad in Kingsgate Street from visiting Mrs. Gamp's head too roughly. Some rusty gowns and other articles of that lady's wardrobe depended from the posts and these two had so adapted themselves by long usage to her figure that more than one impatient husband coming in precipitately at about the time of twilight had been for an instant stricken dumb by the supposed discovery mrs gamp had hanged herself one gentleman coming on the usual hasty errand had said indeed that they looked like guardian angels watching of her in her sleep but that, as Mrs. Gamp said, was his first, and he never repeated the sentiment, though he often repeated his visit. The chairs in Mrs. Gamp's apartment were extremely large and broad-backed, which was more than a sufficient reason for there being but two in number. They were both elbow-chairs of ancient mahogany, and were chiefly valuable for the slippery nature of their seats, which had originally been horsehair, but were now covered with a shiny substance of bluish tint from which the visitor began to slide away with a dismayed countenance immediately after sitting down. What Mrs. Gamp wanted in chairs she made up in bandboxes, of which she had a great collection, devoted to the reception of various miscellaneous valuables 
which are not however as well protected as the good woman by a pleasant fiction seemed to think although every bandbox had a carefully closed lid not one among them had a bottom owing to which cause the property was merely as it were extinguished the chest of drawers having been originally made to stand upon the top of another chest had a dwarfish elfin look alone but in regard of its security it had a great advantage over the bandboxes for as all the handles had long ago been pulled off it was very difficult to get at its contents this indeed was only to be done by one or two devices either by tilting the whole structure forward until all the drawers fell out together or by opening them singly with knives like oysters mrs gamp stored all her household matters in a little cupboard by the fireplace beginning below the surface as in nature with the coals and mounting gradually upwards to the spirits which from motives of delicacy she kept in a teapot the chimney-piece was ornamented with a small almanac marked here and there in mrs gamp's own hand with a memorandum of the date at which some lady was expected to fall due it was also embellished with three profiles one in colours of mrs gamp herself in early life one in bronze of a lady in feathers supposed to be mrs harris as when she appeared when dressed for a ball and one in black of mr gamp deceased the last was full length in order that the likeness might be rendered more obvious and forcible by the introduction of the wooden leg a pair of bellows a pair of patterns a toasting fork a kettle a pat boat a spoon for the administration of medicine to the refractory and lastly mrs gamp's umbrella which is something of great price and rarity was displayed with particular ostentation completed the decorations of the chimney-piece and adjacent wall towards these objects mrs gamp raised her eyes in satisfaction when she had arranged the tea-board and had concluded her arrangements for the reception of betsy prig even unto the setting forth of two pounds of newcastle salmon intensely pickled there now drat you betsy don't be long said mrs gamp apostrophizing her absent friend for i can't abear to wait i do assure you to whatever place i goes i sticks to this one mortar i'm easy please but it's as little as i wants but i must have that little of the best and to the minute when the clock strikes else we do not part as i could wish but bearing malice in our hearts her own preparations were of the best for they comprehended a delicate new loaf a plate of fresh butter a basin of fine white sugar and other arrangements on the same scale even the snuff with which she now refreshed herself was so choice in quality that she took a second pinch there's a little bell a-ringing now said mrs gamp hurrying to the stair-head and looking over betsy prig might why it's that there disappointing sweedle-pipes i do believe yes it's me said the barber in a faint voice i've just come in you're always a-coming in i think muttered mrs gamp to herself except when you're a-going out i ain't no patience with that man mrs gamp said the barber i say mrs gamp well cried mrs gamp impatiently as she descended the stairs what is it is the thames afire and cooking its own fish mr sweedlepipes why what's the man gone and been a-doing of himself he's as white as chalk she had the latter clause of inquiry when she got downstairs and found him seated in the shaving chair pale and disconsolate you recollect said poll you recollect young not young wilkins cried mrs gamp don't say young wilkins whatever you do if your young wilkins wife is took it isn't anybody's wife exclaimed the little barber bailey young bailey why what do you mean to say that chits have been a-doing of taunted mrs gamp sharply stuff and nonsense mr sweedlepipes 
"'He hasn't been a-doing anything,' exclaimed poor Poll, quite desperate. "'What do you catch me up so short for, when you see me put out to that extent that I can hardly speak? He'll never do anything again. He's done for, he's killed. The first time I ever see that boy,' said Poll, "'I charged him too much for a red poll. I asked him three halfpence for a penny one, because I was afraid he'd beat me down. But he didn't, and now he's dead. And if you was to crowd all the steam engines and electric fluids that ever was into this shop, and set em every one to work their hardest, they couldn't square the account, though it's only a halfpenny. And what a clever boy he was, he said. What a surprising young chap he was. How he talked, and what a deal he'd known. Shaved in this very chair he was. Only for fun it was. All, all his fun, he was full of it. Ah, to think he'll never be shaved in earnest. The birds might every one have died and welcome, cried the little barber, looking round him at the cages, and again applying the towel. Sooner than I'd have heard this news. How did you ever come to hear it? said Mrs. Gamp. Who told you? I went out, returned the little barber, into the city to meet a sporting gent upon the stock exchange, that wanted a few slow pigeons to practice at. And when I'd done with him, I went to get a little drop of beer. And there I heard everybody a-talking about it. It's in the papers. "'You're in a nice state of confusion, Mr. Sweetlepipes, you are,' said Mrs. Gamp, shaking her head. "'And my opinion is, as half a dudgeon fresh young lively leeches on your temples, wouldn't be too much to clear your mind. Which so I tell you, what were they a-talking on, and what was in the papers?' "'All about it,' cried the barber. "'What else do you suppose? Him and his master were upset on a journey. He was carried to Salisbury, and was a-breathing his last, when the account came away.' He never spoke afterwards, not a single word. That's the worst of it to me, but that ain't all. His master can't be found. The other manager of their office in the city, Crimple, David Crimple, has gone off with the money, and is advertised for with a reward upon the walls. Mr. Montague, poor young Bailey's master, what a boy he was, is advertised for too. Some say he's slipped off to join his friend abroad. Some say he mayn't have got away yet, and they're looking for him high and low. Their office is a smash, a swindle altogether. But what's a life assurance office to a life? And what a life young Bailey was. He was born into a whale, said Mrs. Gamp, with a philosophical coolness. And he lived in a whale, and he must take the consequences of such a situation. Don't you hear nothing of Mr. Chuzzlewit in all this? No, said Poll, nothing to speak of. His name wasn't printed as one of the board, though some people say it was just going to be some believe he was took in and some believe he was one of the takers in but however that may be they can't prove nothing against him this morning he went up of his own accord before the lord mayor or some of them city bigwigs and complained that he'd been swindled and that these two persons had gone off and cheated him and that he had just found out that montague's name wasn't even montague but something else and they do say that he looked like death owing to his losses but "'Lord, forgive me,' cried the barber, coming back again to the subject of his individual grief. "'What his looks to me, he might have died and welcome fifty times, and not been such a loss as Bailey.' At this juncture the little bell rang, and the deep voice of Mrs. Prigg struck into the conversation. "'Oh, you're talking about it, are you?' observed that lady. "'Well, I hope you've got it over, for I ain't interested in it myself.' "'My precious Betsy,' said Mrs. Gamp, "'how late you are!' The worthy Mrs. Prigg replied with some asperity that if perverse people went off dead when they was least expected, it weren't no fault of hern, and further it was quite aggravating enough to be made late when one was dropping in for one's tea without hearing on it again. Mrs. Gamp, deriving from this exhibition of repartee to some clue to the state of Mrs. Prigg's feelings, instantly conducted her upstairs, 
deeming that the sight of pickled salmon might work a softening change but betsy prig expected pickled salmon it was obvious that she did for her first words after glancing at the table were i knowed she wouldn't have any cowcumber mrs gamp changed colour and sat down upon the bedstead lord bless you betsy prig your words is true i quite forgot it mrs prig looking steadfastly at her friend put her hand in her pocket and with an air of surly triumph drew forth the oldest of lettuces or youngest of cabbages but at any rate a green vegetable of an expansive nature and of such magnificent proportions that she was obliged to shut it up like an umbrella before she could pull it out she also produced a handful of mustard and cress a trifle of the herb called dandelion three bunches of radishes an onion rather larger than the average turnip three substantial slices of beetroot and a short prong or antler of celery the whole of this garden stuff having been publicly exhibited but a short time before as a tuppenny salad and purchased by mrs prig on the condition that the vendor could get it all into her pocket which had been happily accomplished in high holborn to the breathless interest of a hackney coach stand and she laid so little stress on this surprising forethought that she did not even smile but returning her pocket into its accustomed sphere merely recommended that these productions of nature should be sliced up for immediate consumption in plenty of vinegar don't go a drop in none of your snuff in it said mrs prig in gruel barley water apple tea mutton broth and that it don't signify it stimulates a patient but i don't relish it myself oh, i bet she prig cried mrs gamp how can you talk so why ain't your patients whatever their diseases is always a sneezing their weary heads off along of your snuff said mrs prig and what if they are said mrs gamp nothing if they are said mrs prig but don't deny it sarah who denies yous of it mrs gamp inquired mrs prig returned no answer who denies yous of it betsy mrs gamp inquired again then mrs gamp by reversing the question imparted a deeper and more awful character of solemnity to the same betsy who denies yous of it it was the nearest possible approach to a very decided difference of opinion between these ladies but mrs prig's impatience for the meal being greater at the moment than her impatience of contradiction she replied for the present nobody if you don't sarah and prepared herself for tea for a quarrel can be taken up at any time but a limited quantity of salmon cannot her toilet was simple she had merely to chuck her bonnet and shawl upon the bed give her hair two pulls one on the right side one upon the left as if she were ringing a couple of bells and all was done the tea was already made mrs gamp was not long over the salad and they were soon at the height of their repast the temper of both parties was improved for the time being by the enjoyment of the table when the meal came to a termination which was pretty long in doing and mrs gamp having cleared away produced the teapot from the top shelf simultaneously with a couple of wine glasses they were quite amiable betsy said mrs gamp filling her own glass and passing the teapot i will now propose your toast my frequent partner betsy prig which altering the name to sarah gamp i drink said mrs prig with love and tenderness from this moment symptoms of inflammation began to lurk in the nose of each lady and perhaps notwithstanding all appearances to the contrary in the temper also now sarah said mrs prig joining business with pleasure what is this case which you wants me mrs gamp betraying in her face some intention of returning an evasive answer betsy added is it mrs harris 
no betsy prig it ain't was mrs gamp's reply well said mrs prig with a short laugh i'm glad of that at any rate why should you be glad of that betsy mrs gamp retorted warmly she is unbeknown to you except by hearsay why should you be glad if you have anything to say contrary to the character of mrs harris which well i knows behind her back afore her face or anywheres is not to be impeached out with betsy i know that sweetest and best of women said mrs gamp shaking her head and shedding tears ever since afore her first which mrs harris who was dreadful timid went and stopped his ears in an empty dog kennel and never took his hands away or come out once till he was showed the baby when being took with fits the doctor collared him and laid him on his back upon the airy stones and she was told to ease her mind his owls was organs and i've knowed her betsy prig when he has hurt her feeling heart by saying of his ninth that it was one too many if not two dear innocent was a cooing in his face which thrive it did though bandy but i have never knowed as you occasion to be glad betsy on accounts of mrs harris not requiring you require she never will depend upon it for her constant words in sicknesses and will be send for sairy during this touching address mrs prig adroitly feigning to be the victim of that absence of mind which has its origin in excessive attention to one topic helped herself from the teapot without appearing to observe it mrs gamp observed it however and came to a premature close in consequence well it ain't her it seems said mrs prig coldly who is it then you have heard me mention betsy mrs gamp replied after glancing in an expressive and marked manner at the teapot the person as i took care of on the time as you and me was pardners off and on in that there fever at the bull old snuffy mrs prig observed sarah gamp looked at her with an eye of fire for she saw in this mistake of mrs prig another wilful and malignant stab at that same weakness or custom of hers an ungenerous allusion to which on the part of betsy had first disturbed their harmony that evening and she saw it still more clearly when politely but firmly correcting that lady by the distinct enunciation of the word chuffy mrs prig received the correction with a diabolical laugh the best among us have their failings and it must be conceded of mrs prig that if there were a blemish in the goodness of her disposition it was a habit she had of not bestowing all its sharp and acid properties upon her patients as a thoroughly amiable woman would have done of keeping a considerable remainder for the service of her friends highly pickled salmon and lettuces chopped up in vinegar may as viands possessing some acidity of their own have encouraged and increased this failing in mrs prig and every application to the teapot certainly did for it was often remarked of her by her friends she was most contradictory when most elevated it is certain that her countenance became about this time derisive and defiant and that she sat with her arms folded and one eye shut up in a somewhat offensive because obtrusively intelligent manner mrs gamp observing this felt it the more necessary that mrs prig should know her place and be made sensible of her exact station in society as well as of her obligations to herself she therefore assumed an air of greater patronage and importance as she went on to answer mrs prig as she went on to answer mrs prig in a little more detail mr chuffey betsy said mrs gamp is weak in his mind excuse me if i makes that remark but he may be neither be so weak as people thinks nor may not think he is so weak as they pretends and what i knows i knows and what you don't you don't so do not ask me betsy 
but mr chuffey's friends has made proposals for his being took care of and has said to me mrs gamp will you undertake it we couldn't think they says of trusting him and nobody but you for sairy you are gold as has passed the furnage you will undertake it at your own price day and night and by your own self no i says i will not i do not reckon on it there is i says but one creature in the world that i would undertake on such terms and her name is Aris. but i says i am quite acquainted with a friend whose name is betsy prig that i can recommend and will assist me betsy i says is always to be trusted under me and will be guided as i could desire here mrs prig without any abatement of her offensive manner again counterfeited abstraction of mind and she stretched out her hand to the teapot it was more than mrs gamp could bear she stopped the hand of mrs prig with her own and said with great feeling no betsy drink fair whatever you do mrs prig thus baffled threw herself back in her chair and closing the same eye more emphatically and folding her arms tighter suffered her head to roll slowly from side to side while she surveyed her friend with a contemptuous smile mrs gamp resumed mrs harris betsy bother mrs harris said betsy prig mrs gamp looked at her with amazement incredulity and indignation when mrs prig shutting her eyes still closer and folding her arms still tighter uttered these memorable and tremendous words i don't believe there's no such person after the utterance of which expression she leaned forward and snapped her fingers once twice thrice each time nearer to the face of mrs gamp and then rose to put on her bonnet as one who felt there was now a gulf between them which nothing could ever bridge across the shock of this blow was so violent and sudden that mrs gamp sat staring at nothing with uplifted eyes and her mouth open as if she were gasping for breath until betsy prig had put on her bonnet and a shawl and was gathering the latter about her throat then mrs gamp rose morally and physically rose and denounced her what said mrs gamp you beige creature i have known mrs harris five and thirty year to be told at last there ain't no such person living have i stood her friend in all her troubles great and small for you to come at last to such an end as this which her own sweet picture hanging up afore you all the time shame your brazen words but you mayn't well believe there's no such creature for she wouldn't demean herself to look at you and often she has said when i've made mention of your name which to my sinful sorrow i have done what sairy camp debase yourself to her go along with you i'm a-going ma'am ain't i said mrs prig stopping as she said it you had better ma'am said mrs gamp do you know who you're talking to ma'am inquired her visitor apparently said mrs gamp surveying her with a scorn from head to foot to betsy prig apparently so i know her no one better go along with you and you was going to take me under you cried mrs prig surveying mrs gamp from head to foot in her turn you was was you oh how kind why well, deuce take your imperence said mrs prig with a rapid change from banter to ferocity what do you mean get along with you said mrs gamp i'll blush for you you'd better blush a little for yourself while you're about it said mrs prig you and your chuffies what the poor old creature isn't mad enough isn't he ha he'd very soon be mad enough if you had anything to do with him said mrs gamp and that's what i was wanted for is it cried mrs prig triumphantly yes but you'll find yourself deceived i won't go near him we shall see how you get on without me i won't have nothing to do with him you never spoke a truer word than that said mrs gamp get along with you she was prevented from witnessing the actual retirement of mrs prig from the room 
notwithstanding the great desire she had expressed to behold it by that lady in her angry withdrawal coming into contact with the bedstead and bringing down the previously mentioned pippins three or four of which came rattling on the head of mrs gamp so smartly that when she recovered from this wooden shower bath mrs prig was gone she had the satisfaction however of hearing the deep voice of betsy proclaiming her injuries and her determination to have nothing to do with mr chuffey down the stairs and along the passage and even out in kingsgrate street likewise of seeing in her own apartment in the place of mrs prig mr sweedlepipe and two gentlemen why bless my life exclaimed the little barber what's amiss the noise of you ladies have been making mrs gamp why these two gentlemen have been standing on the stairs outside the door nearly all the time trying to make you hear while you were pelting away hammer and tongs it'll be the death of the little bullfinch in the shop that draws his own water in his fright he's been a-straining himself all to bits drawing more water than he could drink in a twelve month he must have thought it was a fire mrs gamp had in the meanwhile sunk into her chair from whence turning up her overflowing eyes and clasping her hands she delivered the following lamentation oh mr sweedlepipes which mr westlock also if my eyes do not deceive and a friend not having the pleasure of being known what i have took from betsy prig this blessed night no mortal creature knows if she had abused me being in liquor which i thought or smelt when she came in but i could not so believe not being used myself mrs gamp by the way was pretty far gone and the fragrance of the teapot was strong in the room i could have bore it with a thankful heart but the words she spoke of mrs harris lambs could not forgive no betsy said mrs gamp in a violent burst of feeling nor worms forget the little barber scratched his head and shook it and looked at the teapot and gradually got out of the room john westlock taking a chair sat down on one side of mrs gamp martin taking the foot of the bed supported her on the other you wonder what we'll want i dare say observed john i'll tell you presently when you have recovered it's not pressing for a few minutes or so how do you find yourself better mrs gamp shed more tears and shook her head and feebly pronounced mrs harris name have a little john was at his loss what to call it tea suggested martin it ain't tea said mrs gamp physic of some sort i suppose cried john have a little mrs gamp was prevailed upon to take a glassful on condition she passionately observed as betsy never has another stroke of work from me certainly not said john she shall never help nurse me to think said mrs gamp as she could ever have helped her nurse that friend of yours and been so near of hearing things that uh john looked at martin yes he said that was a narrow escape mrs gamp narrower indeed she returned it was only my having the night and hearing of him in his wanderings and heard a day that saved it what she could have said and done if she'd have knowed what i know that perfidious wretch yet oh good gracious me cried mrs gamp trampling on the floor in the absence of mrs prig that i should hear from the same woman's lips what i have heard her speak of mrs harris never mind said john you know it's not true isn't true cried mrs gamp true don't i know was that dear woman's expecting of me at this minute mr westlock and is a looking out the window down the street with little tommy harris in her arms and calls me his own gammy and truly calls for bless the mottled little legs of that there precious child like canterbury brawn his own dear father says which they so are his own i have been ever since i found him mr westlock and his small red worsted shoe a gurgling in his throat where he had put it in his play a chick while i was leaving of him on the floor a looking for it through the house and him a choking sweetly in the parlour oh betsy prig what wickedness you've showed this night 
never shall you darken Ceres' doors again, you twining serpent. You were always so kind to her, too, said John, consolingly. That's the cutting part. That's where it hurts me, Mr. Westlock, Mrs. Gamp replied, holding out her glass unconsciously while Martin filled it. Chosen to help you with Mr. Lewsome, said John. Chosen to help you with Mr. Chuffey. Chose one, sir, but chose no more, cried Mrs. Gamp. No partnership with Betsy Prig again, sir. No, no, Sir John, that would never do. I don't know as it ever would have done, sir, Mrs. Gamp replied with a solemnity peculiar to a certain stage of intoxication. Now that the marks, by which Mrs. Gamp is supposed to have meant mask, is off that creature's face, I do not think it would ever have done. There are regions and families for keeping things a secret, Mr. Westlock, and having only them about you as knows you can repose in. Who could repose in Betsy Prig after her words of Mrs. Harris sitting in that chair afore my eyes? Mrs. Gamp, quite true, said John, quite. I hope you have time to find another assistant, Mrs. Gamp. Between her indignation and the teapot, her powers of comprehending what was said to her began to fail. She looked at John with tearful eyes, and murmuring the well-remembered name which Mrs. Prig had challenged, as if it were a talisman against all earthly sorrows, seemed to wander in her mind. I hope, repeated John, that you have time to find another assistant. Which sure it is indeed, cried Mrs. Gamp, turning up her languid eyes, and clasping Mr. Westlock's wrist with a matronly affection. Tomorrow evening, sir, I waits upon his friends, Mr. Chuzzlewit, appointed it from nine till ten. From nine till ten, said John, with a significant glance at Martin. And then Mr. Chuffey retires into safe keeping, does he? He needs to be kept safe, sir. He needs to be kept safe, I do assure you. Mrs. Gamp replied with a mysterious air. Other people besides me has had a happy deliverance from Bessie Prig. I little know that woman. She'd have let it out. Let him out, you mean, said John. Do I? retorted Mrs. Gamp. Oh! The severely ironical character of this reply was strengthened by a very slow nod, and a still slower drawing down of the corners of Mrs. Gamp's mouth. She added, with extreme stateliness of manner, after indulging in a short doze, but I'm a keeping of you, gentlemen, and time is precious. Mingling with that delusion of the teapot which inspired her with the belief that they wanted her to go somewhere immediately, a shrewd avoidance of any further reference to the topics into which she had lately strayed, Mrs. Gamp rose, and putting away the teapot in its accustomed place, and locking the cupboard with much gravity, proceeded to attire herself for a professional visit. This preparation was easily made. It required nothing more than the snuffy black bonnet, the snuffy black shawl, the patterns and the indispensable umbrella, without which neither a lying in nor a laying out could by any possibility be attempted. When Mrs. Gamp had invested herself with these appendages, she returned to her chair, and sitting down again, declared herself quite ready. It's a happiness to know as one can benefit the poor sweet creature, she observed. I'm sure it isn't all as can that tortures Betsy Prig inflicts is frightful. Closing her eyes as she made this remark, in the acuteness of her commiseration for Betsy's patience, she forgot to open them again until she dropped a pattern. Her nap was also broken at intervals like the fabled slumbers of Friar Bacon, by the dropping of the other pattern and of the umbrella, but when she had got rid of those encumbrances her sleep was peaceful. The two young men looked at each other, ludicrously enough, and Martin, stifling his disposition to laugh, whispered in John Westlock's ear, what should we do now? Stay here, he replied. Mrs. Gamp was heard to murmur, Mrs. Harris, in her sleep. 
rely upon it whispered john looking cautiously towards her that you shall question this old clerk though as you go as mrs harris herself we know quite enough to carry our own way now at all events thanks to this quarrel which confirms the old saying that when rogues fall out honest people get what they want let jonas chuzzlewit look to himself and let her sleep as long as she likes we shall gain our end in good time end of chapter forty nine